to this week's edition of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith, and once again, this will be an interview-only episode this week. And this week, we're going to be talking about that dirty word that you hear a lot in IT that really isn't a dirty word at all, but it's the word help desk. So many of my students talk about in their internship classes that when they hear they get placed at the help desk, they just think they're basically getting a digital janitor's job and they don't understand the value of it. They want to be the admin. They want to be the CEO of the IT world at that company. And we're going to talk about how Help Desk Today is so valuable with my guest, Chris Starkey. How are you doing, Chris? Doing great, Patrick. It's good to be here. I really appreciate you being here. So usually what we do, Chris, is we start by kind of asking people, we know you're a technology person, obviously, so tell us about growing up. When did computers and technology into your life and when did you decide that this is something I want to do more than just play with? Sure. Uh, so I grew up sort of not as privileged as a lot of kids, so I didn't have access to computers early on. Uh, but my cousin had a Commodore 64, and so I was able to access that maybe around age eight or nine, basically just play some games. And so that was fun. I thought computers were really interesting. You know, they really drew my attention Right out the gate. So, so for, for people that may not, I mean, for people who may have heard Commodore sixty four, but may not have an idea. We are we are talking about a computer and not necessarily like a, a Nintendo or a game system, right? right. We are talking right. about full fledged computer. Was it keyboard? You know, uh, yeah. CPU and monitor. Uh, at that time, I believe the the keyboard and CPU were kind of an integrated unit, and then mm-hmm. then there was a separate monitor. Uh, okay, attached to that, and then the disk drive, of course, with uh, the big. Uh, what five and a five and a five quarter, and a quarter floppies? Yeah, uh-huh. the, the the true floppies. The true floppies. Of yes. The day. Of course, there were supposedly like eight inch ones, but I've never no, never seen see one. I've always seen five and a quarters and three and a half. Yeah, yeah. We had a lot of good times with that thing. Uh, it was mainly playing, you know, old Top Gun and silly games like that. But so later on, maybe around age twelve, uh, that was handed down to me. So that was my oh, okay. my first computer computer. And when I got it home, didn't have any manuals or anything, but I had a lot of floppies. And so then I moved from just playing games into, you know, the actual operating system and exploring the files and, and file contents and things. And so that's kind of what really got me hooked. Um, and then later on my grandmother bought me a four eighty six mm-hmm. uh, used four eighty six sixty six megahertz DX two? I can't remember for certain, but I think it had uh, a whopping sixteen megabytes of RAM in it. Yeah, it was a monster. Uh, But that, you know, that was great. I could uh, at the time I got a dial-up modem, and Mm -hmm. I was able to hit uh, bulletin boards, and so that just opened up a huge world to me. I mean, here I am sitting in my room, able to dial out and connect the systems, you know, across town or, or or whatever, and interact with people that I didn't get to see, but exchanged lots and lots of information and downloading files of course and that was amazing to me did you ever do aol did you ever have oh that? yeah yeah so after yeah. the uh the first 486 there um i got a uh, it was a couple years later uh, my grandmother bought me a uh my first new computer it was a gateway mm-hmm. uh, p3800 and uh, so then I got on AOL. I think it was like, what, 3 or 4.0 at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that opened up another big world for me because now I wasn't just talking to people locally on BBSs. It was, uh, you know, a- across the globe. So I made a lot of good friends on there. Got to delve into the tech a little bit deeper. Started getting into, like, you know, the silly things like the screen scrollers and ASCII art scrollers and chat bombs and things like that. So that was interesting. But at L- that time... Little apps like AO Hell. Yeah, exactly. I think <laughs> I think the one I used most often was Magenta X. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a fun one. Little punters and things in there. Yeah. Um, but so that, you know, that allowed me to get into the actual internet at that time. So you had your nice Netscape Navigator or something like that and... Asking Jeeves, all kinds of good stuff. So, I mean, you were on the internet. You were playing games. Did you delve any at all into programming? Because I know I had a I had a 286, and then the first one that I actually owned was a 486. It was a Quantex brand. And at one point, my mom bought me this book that would remind you of a coloring book or like one of those thick word jumble books, but it was programming. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what the language was. But at that point, I determined programming was not for me because what you were programming in were like 
it looked like wingdings, smiley faces, right, like pearl or something. Weird. I mean, absolutely weird characters. There was no language. So, right. so years later, when I learned Visual Basic, and I was like, oh, you can actually do programming with actual words. <laughs> That's crazy because you created a game where you were a wizard and like maybe you were, maybe you were a vertical pipe on the screen and you shot an asterisk right. out as a fireball. And I thought, how would anybody have known what they were doing? So did you play with any of that type of stuff? You know, unfortunately, uh, I was kind of on my own. No one in the family or, or really any of the friends I had locally uh, were into to technology or computers. So mm-hmm. I, I unfortunately didn't get into programming early on. That was something I kind of did later on. Uh, most of my early stuff was dissecting the operating system and doing more of the systems reconnaissance and, and things like that. So I, I learned a lot about hardware and, and the OS. Um, I was just really interested more in security and bypassing it than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was where my, my main interest was. I really liked to uh, to mitigate security and, and things like that. So uh, really focused on, I think at the time, it was, uh, what, Windows 3.1? Was what I ran on my uh, one of my four eighty sixes, and then ninety eight SE for the the P three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the highest one you had before ninety five was Windows three one one for work groups. That was finally the one that started to introduce networking yeah. into the whole thing. So yeah, and then good old ninety five came around. Right, because you mentioned AOL. I had AOL two. Two was the first one we had. And I was on AOL 3, and then AOL had me beta test AOL 3 for Windows 95. Ooh. And then I was on 4, and then I left. I ended up joining uh, ZoomNet here locally when, when it was based out of the PC Doctor building down right. there at Heritage Station. And I was like, oh, you mean I can get to places that AOL has locked me out of? Right. And, and, and I can do that on my own? So, yeah, I started to delve deeper before there was ever a deep web, I was I was delving into the uh, the shallow web, I guess, that AOL was blocking. So. Yeah, I always thought it was nice when I realized that I could just, you know, connect AOL and then minimize that and open up Internet Explorer and, and browse to where I wanted. But, yeah, you know, I know. It's like, oh, my goodness, you could use your own browser right. and be through that. Yeah, it was great. But then I was still too... Uh, too young and naive to know that you know DNS and things still contain me, and I, you know mm-hmm. I didn't didn't realize the the big workings of, of how it all put you know was put together. I think that uh, that really ignited my love for computers, mm-hmm. uh, and so then from then forward, you know I was really big into sports and played football and things. But I think once I had that that Pentium three machine, uh, that was all mine. You know I had the manuals for it. I knew how it worked. Um, I really. I really dove deep into it, and so it became it became my number one priority. It really consumed me. You know, every day I wanted to uh, be on that computer as soon as I got out of school until it was time to go to bed, which was you know four hours later than my bedtime right. because I just couldn't stop. So I just kept learning and learning, and you know, at that time uh, I had friends, a couple friends at school I met in high school that. Uh, they were doing the A plus classes out at the uh, Votech, mm-hmm. and so you know we'd get together on weekends and have little LAN parties and do some gaming and trade files and things like that. Um, so were you here in West Virginia going to school? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm originally from Huntington. Oh, okay. So I went to uh, to Gondot Elementary and to Enslow okay. uh, Middle and then to the New Huntington High. And so at the New Huntington High, that's, uh, that's where I met a lot of my, my computer friends that I'm still close with. Cool. And, uh, yeah, we'd get together on the weekends and play some Team Fortress Classic or, you know, trade our wares at the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I went out to, in Wayne County, so there was a vocational school, but mainly at the time our classes were more welding, automotive, that type mm. of thing. It wasn't until after I graduated. They got a Cisco program ah. after I left, so I missed all that. But yeah, at the house, we weren't doing Team Fortress yet because it was a couple years before that. But we were doing um, Duke Nukem 3D oh, yes. and Blood. Blood was my favorite. Uh, I don't remember that one. Blood, Blood would allow you to have multiplayer maps, but they already built them to where... Um, there was buttons in the game you could press that would launch uh, missiles and shoot them with fireballs, and so there was already twin fortresses you could be in. Uh, so it was great. And now these days you can get blood for like four dollars at good old good games. old games, yeah. yeah. And it was all IPX SPX, but if you play it through DOSBox, you can actually wrap your IPX SPX uh, data through TCP/IP. Nice. Because I played it a couple years ago. 
And so, yeah, I had I had two machines, and I put them in the corner of a room. I had one facing, like, like a 90-degree angle. I had one facing out each of the legs <laughs> of a right angle so the other player couldn't see what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And we were doing uh, uh, 10 base 2 coaxial back then. Jeez. So it was fun. How far we've come, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, now you can play someone over in Bangladesh or wherever oh, yeah. these days. Yeah. So On hardware that, you know, like your cell phone has uh, – much higher performing hardware than the uh, the computers they used to land on the moon. Yeah, it's, yeah. It was like, I think it was like a 3D6 they used to land on the moon, which is pretty impressive. Crazy. Yeah. So when you were in high school at Huntington High, did you take any classes yourself? Because you, know, you said your friends were doing A-plus classes. Or, were you like a library technician or anything like that? Well, no. Actually, uh, unfortunately, I didn't find out about the A-plus courses uh, until late in my senior year. Uh, so... I didn't realize they were actually in the classes. We just kind of all had computer things to talk about. So I would just kind of hang out with them, and I did do a little programming. I had a programming course at Huntington High, and, of course, the you know the basic keyboard or typing classes and things like that. But Was that Visual Basic? Uh, the programming class was, no, it was Basic. Q-Basic. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Wow. Yeah. And so then I realized that programming was you know pretty interesting and something I'd like to do. Uh, unfortunately, at that time, I wasn't real focused on school, so <laughs> right. You know, girls were a little more important to me at the time. Right, right. The programming hormones weren't kicking in as exactly. much as, as much as the adolescent hormones. Exactly. Unfortunately. So after school, did you decide to go directly to college? Or did you get a job, or what was your path at that point? Yeah. So I did. Uh, I started Marshall uh, for a four-year degree uh, in computer science. And um, unfortunately, again, I just wasn't focused on studies. And so the four-year program just didn't work out for me. I think mainly because, you know, the first several, well, couple of years at least, really wasn't focused on, on computers and technology. You know, it was all these, you know, core classes, which I liked English and math and things like that. That was fun. Um, but I felt like I had to just go through so much muck to get to the, the meat of what I really wanted to do. And I think that kind of helped deter me. And so I left yeah. Marshall after a year and a half and uh, didn't go back to school for a while. And then, you know, finally came to MCTC for the two-year degree uh, with you and your, your Microsoft classes. And, and so that was a huge change. It was directly, you know, right out of the gate into the, uh, the courses that I was interested in. And that made a huge difference for me. It kept my focus. And it was just so night and day compared to the curriculum at Marshall. Well, you you are um, preaching to the choir when it comes to the same type of experience. I originally went to Marshall, and uh, I was in the CSD department, which was computer science and software development, and then they that became defunct. And then I went to MIS, because I imagine you were probably enrolled in IST, the Integrated Science and Technology. Yeah, I think it was, right. That wasn't around yet when I was there. And so I was in MIS, which is more of a business style, you know, aspect. And so I was taking economics classes and English classes. And I had like a IT 101, a Word, Excel, PowerPoint. And I was like, when am I going to touch a computer? So boring. And then at the time, we were still on Marshall's campus. But I don't know who it was. One of my friends must have said, you should go talk to the community college. And I had no clue that there was a community college. Right. And so... I'd be curious to find out from you if you had the same issue where, like, you had no idea there was a community college or, or not, because it seemed like for the longest time we were Marshall's best kept secret mm-hmm. that no one knew about. So yeah, I was the same way. I needed to find something that would go ahead and keep my attention because I, I wanted to be able to get through something. I wanted to be able to do good at yeah, something. I right. just needed to find something I enjoyed yep. that would allow me to do good and have fun at the same time. So there was a, a, a sizable gap, though, between when you originally went to college and yes. when you went to Mount West. Yeah, absolutely. Were you doing anything with computers in between there? Oh, the whole time. Uh, I mean, it was all, you know, I got a, uh, my first real tech job was for uh, Dell doing tech support, over-the-phone tech support. Was that at Client Logic? It was at Client Logic. Yeah, we had a lot of students that went to Client Logic. It I was. that, like a call center, yeah. Yep, it was. It was my first foray into call center and, and to an actual tech job. And so I learned so much uh, from that little bit of time. I think I was there for a year and a half or a year and a half, two years before they pulled out of, uh, of West Virginia and sent all their tech support to Malaysia. Um, but during that time, you know, I got to meet a lot of a lot of great people that had the same interests I did, and so I expanded my little uh, geek crew, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
I, I learned a lot about systems and, and just the basic troubleshooting processes and things. Um, and so that was my first job. And then after they left. And that was basically, that was basically help That desk. was help desk. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It really was. Um, and so there, I, you know, I started out just doing the basic help desk stuff. And then I moved up to doing tier two work and, and then doing some sort of uh, team lead position there. And so that was fun. You know, I got to, at some point, I got to take the knowledge I had learned and then help teach that to other people and, and help them get out of little jams. So it, it was fun. It kept me kept me always busy and thinking. And, you know, I love troubleshooting and problem solving. So it was, it was great for that. And then after that, I moved on to doing uh, IT management. Well, I say IT management, but it was really just kind of like lead IT for a development and um, real estate company in Barbersville. And I worked there for about a year and moved on from that to a manufacturing facility. And I was doing so, systems administration there. So in a, in, a, in a realtor's office, are you, I'm, what I immediately think of is like the website or like, are you in charge if they bring in photos? Are you in charge of bringing those off the camera? Like what were your duties there? Cause I don't, I don't think I've really thought about delving into what an IT person has to do at a realtor's office. Well, you know, it was uh, they were a, a fairly large company, but they had uh, a fairly small network, just a couple sites. At the time, it was all work groups. Um, I transitioned them to a, a Windows 2000 domain environment. Um, so it was keeping up with the uh, all the hardware, software problems, you know, and then keeping up with the network. Uh, and then, you know, lots of little things, like you said, bringing in, comp- you know, pictures from a computer, or camera rather, and transferring mm-hmm. them to a computer and helping someone uh, email them out. Or I set up roaming profiles there. They thought that was pretty neat. So everyone could just walk around from computer to computer. And So was it the aspect that, like, if I wanted to buy a house, I could go to one of their branch offices and there must have been like a database that mm-hmm. that all the different branches could access that would show their catalog of what was available. Right, and most That's of that was web app stuff. So it was making sure that the uh, the workstations themselves were you know capable of getting out and, and hitting okay. the web app. Okay. Um, but it was it was interesting because it was I was by myself. You mm-hmm. know, there was not a team of people. It was just myself, and so all that responsibility was on me, and I got to make a lot of you know big decisions and. And so that was fun. That was interesting. And then you said after the realtor's office, you you moved to where? What was that facility? Uh, so after the realtor's office, I moved to a manufacturing facility. Okay. And that's that's where I spent eight years working there as their you know IT guy. And it was that was interesting because I learned a whole lot there. I got to um, to administrate a a phone system. Now, would that have been voice over IP at that point? Uh, or no. More like, more like Audix. Yeah, at that time it was an Avaya partner system. Okay. Um, we eventually transfer or transitioned to an Avaya digital system, so then it, it was voice over IP. But so it was a Windows 2003 domain when I, when I started. Uh-huh. Uh, one site, one DC, probably 15 workstations or so. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting because it was a manufacturing facility, so we had – you know, two hundred thousand dollar, two hundred fifty thousand dollar CNC machines, and and these you know big lathes and, and mills and things, and so there'd be little DOS boxes hooked up to them to uh, to use serial two thirty two to push over all the CAD programs. Yeah, okay. So that was neat. I you know I'd never really done much with those, and so that was a nice learning experience. And so with that, you were saying eight years, and I'm thinking about when you were here. That that still had to be in the realm of 2004, I would think, to 2012. Yep. And so, I mean, I guess people just need to think about. Well, it's probably more like 2005, six to 2014-ish or something. Okay. Well, I'm just thinking DOS boxes, mm-hmm. um, serial. Uh, oh yeah. The the 232 using using like DB9 hookups. Yep. Mm-hmm. Made a lot I, of those cables. I, I would. Um, man, my assumption is just that that hardware would be getting harder and harder to find. Absolutely. Ran into a lot of instances where one of those machines would die, and I, I would transition them to something new. It wasn't that they had to use those machines. It's mm-hmm. just that's what had been there for the last 15 years, and mm-hmm. that's what they continue to use. And so as those boxes would die, if I couldn't find hardware to replace it, I'd transition them over. Well, I mean, I guess I, I can understand if they have um, – 
$200,000 pieces of equipment. Right. If it's not broke, why should I fix exactly. it? Exactly. So it's the idea that those machines had interfaces that were serial connectors. Mm-hmm. It's not, and I'm sure you couldn't just buy uh, a $40 card you could put in that would allow USB. Even if it was possible to upgrade those old archaic machines, right. they were going to charge you an arm and a leg. Yep. Like yep. I think back to old laser printers where you could get like HP direct jet cards, yeah. which sometimes cost as much as the printer itself. Absolutely. To put it on the network. Yep. But some of those machines actually were uh, network capable. And so uh, they weren't set up at the time when I was there. Well, when I started, rather. And so the ones that I saw were network capable. You know, we got those on the network and set up a little FTP dump for them. And I could, you know, take CAD files that were on my machine and then shoot them over to the FTP dump for them. And then they could transfer them over to their machines. So that they really liked that. The guys in the shop really liked that. That helped uh, quite a bit. So do you find, did you find any uh, severe differences between working for the realtor and working for the manufacturing company? Oh, definitely. It's a, it's a totally different environment. The, uh, you know, of course the, the machines that you're working with on a daily, they're, they're totally different. They use them for different purposes. It's also a more, uh, it was a more stressful environment because, you know, at the realtor's office, it, it was a little more laid back when a machine broke it it wasn't such a high priority in a production environment you know when something breaks and you've got a machine that's down you know every minute it's down they're losing money so the the pressure you feel to get something fixed is much greater but it helps you troubleshoot and and problem solve a little quicker and so you you're constantly refining your skills and and remembering what you did last time so you can do the same thing quicker next time but definitely, it definitely was different. Um, instead of working on, you know, like I said, uh, a little cheap computer at the realtor's office, I'm working on $200,000 machines. And I would say at the realtor's office, you were probably running uh, Windows 98, maybe yeah. XP. Then you suddenly jump over to a manufacturing, and they're running DOS. Yeah, yeah, a lot of DOS so, machines. So I would say, you know, some people might get into that position and be like, wow, I'm taking a step back. But... Looking at it from the outside, I would think you're really um, broadening your skills. Absolutely, and and really, it's not, with DOS, you know, or any command line interface, you're you're not just point and clicking and, and moving around. You have to think about what you're actually doing. You know, it's there's it, an order to the operation. Oh, what absolutely, you have to do in there. Yeah, absolutely, and it's you got to pay attention a little bit more too. I mean, I know with, you know, GUI systems, it's still the same. You can make a mistake and not check a box and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, you, you got to pay attention to your keystrokes a little bit more than... Yeah. In, in in DOS, there's usually not a window that pops up that says, are you, are you sure? sure you want to close? <laughs> That's or right. are you sure you want to delete all your files on your computer? Something like that. Yes. And the nice thing, too, is with DOS, um, it's always been... There are many more advanced things you could do at a command line mm-hmm. than you could do at a GUI. I mean, no one has the time to make a graphical version of every single equivalent uh, program. So those DOS skills can help across the board later on. Oh, yeah. Because uh, DOS has been around forever, and it's still, the commands are still mostly doable inside of all yeah. versions of Windows. Right. So I know that while you were at the manufacturing, um, place you started coming here, mm-hmm. and so you'd said you'd already done a Windows 2000 domain mm-hmm. as well as a 2003 domain right. when you were at the manufacturing. You may have even updated it. I don't. I don't know. But I did. you had some experience with domains, mm-hmm. so you came here and decided to go through uh, my Microsoft option. Right. Was it because you said to yourself, "I already know a lot of this stuff, and I'll." I'll at least I won't be I won't be like thrown into the deep end. I won't be floundering. I already have a pretty good idea of what this is. I'll just expand my skills. Well, I I really enjoyed uh, the systems administration portion of my job, and so I wanted to expand those skills. And I thought you know I knew a good bit about what I was doing um, until I started taking your classes, and so <laughs> I realized that uh, as much as I knew. There was so much more to learn. Uh, it, it could go so much deeper. You know, there were so many more details, um, especially for the domain uh, administration portion of it. Um, and so, actually, taking your classes there based on the 2008 R2 OS, I was able to take those skills and and use them to transition their network from the 2003 environment to the 2008 environment. 
and up- upgrade. We had two domain controllers when I left and a terminal server. And so that was a huge help. I mean, I, I realized, you know, what all of the, uh, the roles and, and features and functions of the operating system were, were really truly for instead of just using a tutorial here and there to, mm-hmm. to get through it. I understood the, uh, the fundamentals of, of how they worked and, and why they worked together. And so you know, your classes were a huge benefit to that, the benefit to the company for, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad. I'm. It's, it's always glad to know when someone's like, wow, it was really, really useful. Oh, it was. When you were taking those classes, I know you took, I'm so I, I got an idea. You took all Microsoft classes, mm-hmm. uh, probably my Windows 7 class at the time. Yep. Uh, were you Security. taking Security. And did you take storage and virtualization? I did, yep. Okay, yes, yeah, so you, you were here for those. Did you choose to go and set for any certifications while you were doing those? I did not. No, I did not. Okay. And so once you finished and got your degree here, um, I don't know how that lines up with that job, but were you were you still there when you finished here? The yes. manufacturing? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So what happened after you graduated, once you were still there? Because you said you were there for eight years, so I believe mm-hmm. you must you must have moved on. So what happened next? Sure. So I did uh, after graduating. I did stay there for another I don't know maybe eight months or so, and thinking that you know I've got a degree now, I'm a little more valuable of an asset to the company. I thought they would probably see that and you know give me a raise or or promotion of some sorts, and they just didn't. There wasn't anything further for me to to accomplish there i don't think they they don't want to spend money uh they don't see as necessary mm-hmm. so and in a manufacturing company they're probably thinking we should spend money on manufacturing yeah exactly you know, our, our machines and stuff they yeah. don't think about the computerized it side right right you know as that's the trouble with being an it person when it all works no one notices mm-hmm. but when it breaks they're they're beating down your door, so I just decided that I would take the skill set that I'd acquired through through school and all my years of experience and, and just move on. And so I found a uh, another job, uh, an opening for a help desk manager, and moved on. I would I would say without without giving things away, you have worked with Greg Napier, which was a former person we interviewed on here who had a CCNA. Hmm. So I think. Was Greg possible? Wasn't Greg instrumental in, in oh, yes. trying to get you a job yeah. at the same company? Yeah, Greg and I uh, talked daily. You know, we met here at school, and mm-hmm. and uh, since we had so much in common, we we formed a friendship, and and so we'd talk on Facebook and stuff, and and so when he found out that I was looking and interested in moving on, he uh, he put me in contact with some people uh, at the job he was working at, and set up an interview, and and that's how I got there. So. I would throw out there that because of a relationship you made here on campus, you had somebody who was able to point you in the right direction to get you a new job. So I'm sure this is a topic that people constantly beat over the head like crazy, but networking. Yeah, absolutely. Not networking computer networking, is, but no, people networking. Yes, yeah, social networking is huge. Yeah. Um, it, it, it played a 100% of the role in, in me landing that job because I was looking, mm-hmm. you know, but... But Greg knew I was looking, and mm-hmm. so he pointed me in that direction. And the nice thing is, you're an unknown to that company. Sure. But they know Greg. Right. And they know how he's worked, and they probably got a level of trust with him. Mm-hmm. So Greg saying, I know this guy, he's really, really good, Yep. probably really, really helped. Absolutely. Yeah, his recommendation meant a lot. So uh, it got me an interview quickly, and it got me in the door. So just as a refresher from Greg's podcast, that company is not like your manufacturing company or, no. your, or your realtor. You all are basically a ser- like service for hire, consultants for yeah, hire. Yeah, we're right? IT consultants. That's right. So, I mean, you it would be the idea that if the realtor company you were at was like, we don't see a reason to pay Chris to be our IT guy. Mm-hmm. Let's go hire this company and we'll pay a service fee each month. Yep. And they'll kind of be our tech support. They'll take over that for us, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. And consult in, uh, you know, system upgrades and, and things like that. So you went from having one business to be in charge of at a realtor or right. manufacturing to now, how, how many was it roughly? Uh, I mean, there are hundreds. Oh, there, wow. Yeah, there are hundreds. Probably somewhere around 100 maybe frequent, mm-hmm. you know, frequent ones. And then probably 30 or so really frequent ones so you said you were hired in as the help desk manager 
Correct. I'm curious. Uh, thinking thinking back to what you've said so far, you you did do some help desk at Client Logic for right. Dell, and I figure, figure like some of those other campaigns possibly too that I remember hearing about, like I Omega and Free yeah. DSL and all those. Net Zero, I think, Voice Net over zero. IP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but you did help desk then, but then you kind of became the 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 catch all IT guy at the the realtor, and then at the manufacturing, right. you were like the IT administrator, right? So how how did how did you jive with help desk manager? How did that come about? Well, to be quite honest, I went and interviewed for a uh, a tier two uh, position at at oh, my current job as a help desk, right? Okay. As a help desk tier two, and um, they just they looked over my resume and and just in the interview they decided that I'd be a better fit, you know, doing the management position and asked me if I'd be interested in it, and okay. I said sure, you know, that's that's. A great opportunity. I'd love to, to try it. So that worked out real well. So how does it differ being on the management side of it than from when you were at Client Logic and being, you know, the the employee as opposed to the manager, sure. supervisor? So it is a lot different. I don't have just the the problems to worry about. Now I have to manage the uh, the text themselves as well. And, and so I don't get to spend as much time digging deep into the tech as I'd like on some days because I have to kind of stay on top of everyone and juggle so many different things. But it's really fun, you know, to, to help them work through these problems. They get stuck. And, and so I'm still the person that gets to help them, you know, work, work through their troubles. But it's, it is a lot different. It's somewhat babysitting sometimes. And, um, but I'm still exposed to the tech that I love on mm-hmm. the day to day. So that's, so, I mean, I'm sure help desk manager could mean a lot of things to a lot of different companies. Sure. But at that company, are you kind of like, are you tier three in that regard? Because you said you interviewed for tier two. Right. So as the manager, are you more than a manager and you are still like the supreme help desk person? Yeah. Yeah. It. it I guess it's probably somewhere between tier two and tier three because we do still have a, a tier three support that, you know, when we hit a spot we, we you know we, we can still pass it off to someone and get a little more help because mm-hmm. um, those happen you know we we have advanced networking issues and and systems issues that sometimes we're we're thrown for a loop and we, we still have to extend some help and even the tier three guys you know they still have to make calls to Microsoft and Cisco sometimes it happens so would you say um, at your company that for the majority of the time when people get hired in they they funnel through the help desk. Yeah, like like you'd hear these stories of people in Hollywood. They always start in the mailroom. Right. Is that the same way there? Yeah, help desk is definitely the uh, the sort of starting ground for for anyone coming in. You know, even if you're you're network centric or system centric, you you start on the help desk, and it's a uh, it's a real good proving ground for for what you do know, and it's also the best place to get exposure to all of the problems and technologies and things that you're going to encounter daily. And so it's one of the best places to make a well-rounded tech because you are exposed to to the systems uh, issues, to the networking issues, to the, the storage issues. You know, all those things funnel there first. It's the front line of all of the problems. And so we sort through them, fix what we can, and then uh, pass up the things we can't. I would also think that most IT people, well, I mean, it may at this point it may be a stereotype, but most IT people may not be considered the most social people in the world. Sure. I mean, they'll talk a lot online, but face-to-face, yeah. on-the-phone conversations, that's probably an issue. And I would think that the help desk is probably a good area to get someone out of their shell in that regard. It absolutely is. Uh, you know, you're having to speak with these people on the phone, a lot of times face-to-face going on site. And so it does. It, it causes some of the introverts to really start, you know, blossoming a little bit and, and realizing that they have the potential to be social. Um, they've just kind of fought back from having to do it. You know, they stay behind the keyboard and, and the monitor and and talk through typing. So, I mean, I, I guess I guess the help desk is kind of like basic training because it, it weeds, is. weeds the men from the boys. So it absolutely speak. does. I mean, that there's definitely women in there. I, oh, yeah. I, I just use that, you know, as the the old fashioned saying. But it's the idea that you all get the chance to see can these people be social? Yep. Can they work on a problem? Because you want to make sure they can go ahead and do the low level stuff before you then move them into much bigger areas exactly. where they have much more responsibility. Exactly. 
And, and we've seen people go. Uh, Greg Napier was a perfect example of having someone come in as an, you know, an unpaid intern on the mm-hmm. help desk and rise to network engineer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's all about your skill set and, and moreover, your ability to expand your skill set and, and refine it as you work. And so we don't like getting people that are, you know, focused on one thing so much that they put a wall up for others. You know, you can't come in and say, oh, I'm a Windows administrator and then just bat away all the networking issues. You know, you have to be willing to take on all these different you know, problems and, and expand your skill set. Do you have anything else that might be able to expand upon the benefits of help desk that people may go, you know, this is crap, I don't like this, but what they don't understand is that they're learning valuable skills there. Sure. Yeah, I, I think at Client Logic I really learned how to uh, to talk with people and empathize with, with the problems they're going through and that's that's a huge part of, of fixing an issue is kind of making them calm down a little bit because you have to realize that, you know, their computer crashing isn't the worst part of your day, but it may be the worst part of theirs. And so you have to kind of empathize with them a little bit and let them know that, hey, I know this is a big problem for you and uh, I'm going to do everything I can and, and work as quickly as possible to get it back up and and uh, get you back on your merry ways and get your work done. I think working at Client Logic really helped me learn how to, to talk and deal with people and uh, and empathize with them so I can get the problem fixed and, and keep them happy as I could while doing it. Sure. Um, but Help Desk as a whole I mean, it really is, like we said, it's a proving ground and an excellent opportunity just to get an onslaught of of problems and get exposure to to lots of different technologies and and to build your, you know, your bottom-up troubleshooting skills. You know, Mm -hmm. you learn your OSI model uh, and apply it. I don't think that there's probably another position that would throw so much at you so quickly to allow you to learn so much in such a short time. And then I think we would want to point out, too, to don't feel scared about being at the help desk no. because you're not the only person there. No, that's the great thing. You've yeah. got a support team. Exactly. I mean, you're at the front lines. There's no doubt about it. You're at the front lines, and, and the problems come flying at you. But but knowing that you've got you know multiple tiers of people that are willing to extend their helping hands to, to work through your problems, I mean, that makes it so much better. You don't have to... To be scared about, oh, this, this problem's above me. I can't solve it. All you have to do is send an IM or an email to someone or, or a little quick phone call or walk down the hallway and, and get some, uh, you know, some more advanced knowledge and, and some tips. And the big thing about help desk is when you go ask for help, the tiers above you are always going to make sure that you have, you know, the next step or two steps to try. So when you go back to the customer or whoever, it's not like you're constantly, you know, grasping for straws. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know what I'm doing you know, fumbling around, you're always going to be set up with with the next couple steps so that you, you look and can feel confident in what you're doing. Well, and I guess the idea also throughout there is you're not always going to be on the phone with a client. Like you said, you might have to say, I need to call you back. I need to go talk with my tier two sure. people. And so it's not like they're going to be on hold and then there's a there is a ticking clock over sure, your head, sure. but still, it's not like they're going to be on hold and you're like, can you please hold? I got to go run halfway across the right. quad and go talk to so-and-so. Right. So you're just, you're trying to get the fire put out the best you can, yep. and they're not necessarily going to be hanging on the line all the time. No, no. I mean, you might need to say, hey, I, I've got to do some research and I'll call you back in a, in a little while. And uh, you, you break out the Google and, mm-hmm. and, and do what you can, or, or you go ask a friend or, or coworker or whatever, and you come back armed with, with a few more steps to try. Right. So Greg had told me um, a couple of funny stories throughout his career that took place. I mean, uh, coincidences or, or things that were just too unbelievable to be true. Uh, and when I, when I think about Help Desk, I, I think about that wonderful uh, video I, I would show you all in class uh, the internet help desk guy. Oh yeah, where he's like, you know, I'm a veteran. I've been here six months. Right. Um, and he was trying to help that person uh, get their computer fixed because they they were having a hard time. Or I've heard, I remember the old the old urban legend of the call to compact. You know that sometimes you hear it is a guy, it's a girl, it's an old man, it's an old woman, but it's always the call where uh, someone called compact and 
they said their computer couldn't come on, and so the person said, "Well, you know, is the monitor on?" And I don't know what the monitor is. Well, you know, it's the is the TV screen on? Mm-hmm. No, it's not on. Well, um, let's go ahead and check to see if maybe your tower's on. No, I don't see lights on that big box. Well, can you look behind the the desk and and check to see if the power's plugged in? I, I can't see back there. Well, you know why? Why can't you see back there? Well, because the power's out. <laughs> and so supposedly the urban legend went that whoever the person was talking to said, oh, okay, so the solution is box everything back up and take it back to the store and tell the people you're too stupid to use a computer, <laughs> which supposedly the urban legend says that that help desk person got fired for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So, But I always like to talk about that in class when you were talking about the OSI model. Right. Start at the physical layer. Sure. Is it plugged in? Right. <laughs> that should be your first thing you do instead of wasting so much time. Do you have any stories like that or just so so crazy of a story where it's like I had to call Microsoft and we had to hack the registry and turn a zero to a one or something crazy like that? You know, I'm put on the spot. I don't know that I have too many great – I'm sure I have great stories, but you would be very surprised, though, how often you, you talk to someone and, and, and they're completely blank. They don't know why their computer's not on and it truly isn't plugged up. I mean, that's that's a big thing. Or, or the monitor's just not on. The tower's on and they're typing away, but they don't see anything. That monitor's off. Well, and you know, we just we just joked about that urban legend, but I, I would also throw back out there from when I talked to Scott Nicholas that these people are paying you for your expertise. Oh, yeah. So if you realize that their monitor's not plugged up or whatever, that's an easy solution yep. that you just got paid for. Yep. Don't belittle the person. No. Because they're your paying customer. Absolutely. You kind of want to keep them. So, I mean, you can have some levity about it later and, and be like, wow. But keep in mind, they've hired you to help them out, and they may not know what's going on. So yeah. don't be like Nick Burns no. in, in the uh, in the SNL uh, videos, and don't go in there and belittle them because they're not going to want to pay somebody who yeah. treats them like crap. You know, and that, that actually brings up a good point because being the, the sort of left-minded people that we are, we know how to do problem solving, and it's second second nature to us. And so that causes a lot of text sometimes to have a real condescending and cold tone, especially on the phone. And that's that's one thing you've really got to watch out for. And it's something that really gets squashed quickly on the help desk. You, you've got to learn to speak with you know how to speak with people. And so having that attitude of, of superiority uh, doesn't pay off. You know you you've got to be like I said empathetic and. And understanding that you do know more than them. That's why they're calling you. But like you said, they're paying you. So mm-hmm. so be nice about it. I mean, I recently interviewed a guy that I went to high school with and that we both went through Scott's Microsoft classes together. And he's working for a large retail company mm-hmm. and doing remote remote operations. Like if a person has a problem fixing their printer or whatever, he yep. connects in. So he's having to do a lot of dealing with the public. And, and he said, you know, when you're talking to him, you got to understand there is a divide when you can't have face-to-face mm-hmm. when you're on the phone. And there's even a bigger divide when you're doing it over texting, which could be email oh, or yeah. text messages. And there's so much that can get lost in yes. translation. But he was saying on the audio side, uh, like of, of, you know, Skype or something like that, he said they, they, they always say it, and it sounds corny, but when you smile and you talk... Someone can hear yeah. that. Yeah, they it passes treat, over. It passes over, and you can hear that, and they know that you're being uh, nice about it and right. congenial, whereas if you're condescending, they're not going to want to do business with you, and they're going to go someplace else. So yep. that's that's totally true. I mean, I have literally heard texts that are not as versed in troubleshooting and, and don't have a, an expanded skill set get by pretty well just by having a nice personality and, and being able to speak to the to the clients. It, it's a huge you know, a huge help to your to your job. Now, do you all if 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 a company says, "Well, I really like Chris," you know, mm-hmm. Chris is Chris is my guy. When I call in, I want to talk to Chris. Is that okay? Because yeah, I, no, I've, no, I've known companies where they say, you know, we're going to kind of round robin it. Mm-hmm. Everyone who gets a call, you're going to be the next person, right? And and it normally is. I mean, it is sort of a round robin thing. They call a line, and uh, the uh, the call system shoots it to the next person that's that's in whole, or uh, in the ready status, but there are people that like working with certain techs, and certain techs know the system maybe better than others, and so they may ask for them. Um, but we do like, especially 
where I'm at to have, you know, every touch, uh, every tech touch, every system. That way you're familiar because in this consulting business, like you mentioned before, you're not dealing with one company, you know, you're mm-hmm. dealing with, with hundreds. And, and so you really need to get an understanding of how all these systems are laid out and, and how they work. Cause they're, I mean, they're totally different. You know, you may have some small insurance company with, you know, one server and two desktops and, it's a work group and there's a file share somewhere or you may have a an enterprise level company with you know an entirely hosted domain in our data center 300 400 computers or a thousand and you know hosted uh, call managers in the data center and you know these large elaborate telepresence machines and and systems and they're so different you know having that exposure to all of them really helps you know because let's say you know jacob is the guy that x company loves to talk to but they call in with a problem and well jacob's out doing another call and he's not mm-hmm. there to talk to him someone needs to be able to jump on there and and fix the problem whether they really love him or not mm-hmm. they're going to want it fixed whether you know regardless of who does it sure you're going to need some cross training absolutely and uh to go to to go to security some defense in depth mm-hmm. make sure when the one guy's out sick the next guy can come right up yep well i think my last question here thinking about what you just said because you're dealing with hundreds of companies, yep. based on what you've seen, do you have advice about what people should be looking at? Like, are you looking at the business now and you're like, ah, oh, I wish when I was in college I learned X or I explored X, Y, or Z? Mm-hmm. Well, when I went through, you know, I, I did your systems administration stuff, so it was mm-hmm. very systems uh, specific. I did some networking. Yeah. But Mainly all Microsoft, basically no Cisco. Exactly, exactly. And that, to me, uh, was a bit of a detriment. You know, I had some basic networking experience through my years, but not enterprise networking. You know, it was all Soho stuff. And so when you jump into the enterprise level, it's, you know, Cisco equipment everywhere. And not being able, well, Having never configured a Cisco router or a Cisco managed switch or a, a call manager system and things like that, it was a huge blow to my ego, you know, especially because I thought I had a pretty good understanding and grasp of how these systems worked. But in reality, on the networking side of things, really ignorant. And so, well, you were lucky enough, you did say you dealt with a phone system. Yeah, yeah, I did have some, a little bit of telephony work, but. A Cisco phone system is vastly different than an Avaya phone system. Oh, I thought maybe they. I thought you said maybe they did finally upgrade to voice over IP there. Yeah, but it's still an Avaya system. So oh, okay. it was they. I mean, the way those systems, they're, they're just totally different in the way you manage them. And so when I got, when I got into the Cisco side of things, uh, it was really eye opening, and it was amazing how how interested I was in, in networking when I was really exposed to it. I mean, I really love uh, the logic involved in it. Um, it's to me, it's it's really fun. I think it's actually started to uh, to surpass my my interest in administration, the systems administration is the uh, the networking side of things. It's it's really interesting. You can do some amazing things, but when you couple them together, you can really do some amazing things. And so I would say that it's very good to to be well rounded and to look at, at systems and and networking, um, but telephony, that's that's the one thing that. I wish I had had more experience and more exposure to because, you know, and especially the business I'm at now, it seems like we do so much telephony and, you know, jumping into all these these different types of telephony systems, you know, mainly Cisco, but we do Cisco, LG, uh, there's still some old AdTran stuff out there, ComDial, Allworks. Uh, there's a lot of, of, of different systems that you configure really different. I mean, the underlying fundamentals of telephony are all the same and still there, but the way you apply them uh, throughout the different systems is is vastly different. Configurations on these things page-wise can be 25, 30 pages of, of configuration data. And so it's it's wow. a lot to take in sometimes. Uh, but the Cisco you know, call manager and call manager express. That's, that's what we do most of. And I wish I had had more exposure to that. And I think it'd be great for MCTC to, to provide a telephony course. I think it would be really beneficial to, uh, to the IT people coming out. And well, you know, we, we have these things called, um, advisory committees that we, t- we do. Typically we bring people from industry in right. and, um, 
I think Greg had actually attended one year mm-hmm. uh, for your all's company and other companies in our area. I've had people attend over the years. Yeah, I attended and, one this year. And so I know that a local grad, another local graduate of ours, Brian Johnson, yep. who who had the company uh, Mountain State, which they just recently changed their name. So I don't remember what their name is now. But it was yeah, a, I heard, heard that. Very, very long name they had previously. He's always told us that we should have telephony. Yeah. The biggest problem that I always saw from the standpoint was exactly what you said. There are a multitude mm-hmm. of all these different companies out there, and the telephony equipment is not Not super cheap, cheap, no. So it was like the problem I always saw was how's the rationale? I'm sure it would be great for the student to have one class. Mm-hmm. How can we manage to pay for that? Yeah. So I've heard that in Packet Tracer now, they can. You can do some yes. telephony stuff. It's so basic. it's basic, but still right. But I mean, if you we we may have to talk off mm-hmm. you know off mic at some point to try to see about developing a class like that uh, that could possibly be taught. Worst case, at least through Packet Tracer, because oh. the biggest problem I think of too is what's going to happen if a student wants to go home and do some homework. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to have to buy them some right. phones. So Packet Tracer. No, could Packet be Tracer works really well for setting up, you know, your your basic telephony systems. I mean, you set up dial peers and calling search spaces and set up the different extensions and e-phones and, and uh, configure all the all the bells and whistles. And then you can do site-to-site calling and, and all that stuff's there. So your basic telephony, you can do in, in Packet Tracer. It's 6 or 6.1 now. Okay. Well, yeah. So, all you all out there that want to know something that can put a feather in your cap, you may try to look into some doing some telephony stuff if you're already outside of school because that seems to be the uh, the growing sector that we yeah, have. It's needed. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. And, and I hope everyone out there now sees that Help Desk is not the bane of your existence. <laughs> It'll actually give you a lot of great benefits and help you. And, and also... If you're writing yourself up a resume, do not feel ashamed that you worked at a call center or a no. help desk. That, if an employer sees that, as long as you can present it in the correct light that, hey, I've had to troubleshoot, mm-hmm. I've had to, to talk to customers all day long. Obviously, I worked here X amount of years, so I didn't get fired and cuss someone right. out. I know how to treat the customer. I know how to not get fired being on the help desk. It could be a really good feather in your cap to show up an, of an employer who doesn't know you from the very next person that you must have had skills to get by uh, and the soft skills needed to get by in that job you were in. Yeah, experience is experience. So So thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Patrick. And that's going to do it this week for Talk on Tech. Join us next week, but until then, have a great week.